I had to be the best actor in the world at that time because inside of me it was tearing me apart but I still knew I had a job to do and it really showed um, showed me a lot about myself being able to, to, to go through that situation at, at 18, 19 years old and, and deal with it and, and still be able to play the game. Welcome back to Beyond the X's and O's. I'm Trent Dilfer, and, and today's guest is Warren Moon. And we get into a lot of really, really good stuff. But let's not forget what an incredible quarterback he was. So I'll just give you my perspective. So I come into the league in 1994, and like any quarterback, I want to see the guys that can really rip it. Obviously, Brett Favre was young in his career, but he could just rip it anywhere. Troy Aikman was a guy that had an underrated arm. But when you turn on the tape and you watch Warren Moon film, the, it just shocks you. And now we're so accustomed to spread offense and guys throwing it all over the yard that kind of we forget about um, back in the early 90s. That wasn't the game, except for Warren Moon it was. I mean, this was an offense in Houston. Uh, that was a shotgun, hurry up offense. They were spread. It was run and shootish, and they just let it rip all over the place. When Warren Moon threw a football, it spoke to you. I mean, it just sounded different. It looked different. I think he was the guy that all of us other quarterbacks admired the most. But don't forget what an incredible quarterback Warren Moon was. But more importantly, in this conversation, we talk about the adversity he went through in his journey that probably led to him being so dominant uh, in the professional levels. This is a, a young man that was the third string quarterback on his sophomore team because of the color of his skin. Here's a kid that uh, has a great career in high school in Los Angeles, but yet everybody wants him in college to play a different position or be a quarterback run-driven offense and not let him really play quarterback, again, because of the color of his skin. Uh, he ends up going to Juco, like an Aaron Rodgers and a Josh Allen and many others who go on and use that Juco experience to have a better big-time college experience. But he goes to the University of Washington when they're bad. Uh, and him and Coach Don James, who has an incredible career at Washington, have to endure some real ugliness. Uh, Warren becomes the first black quarterback to start at the University of Washington and it didn't go well early on. And he talks about the ugliness that he had to uh, face off the field just to get ready to play quarterback on the field. Uh, we talk about his transition to the CFL and you gotta ask yourself, why did Warren Moon have to go to the CFL? And what you forget is that they had a great senior campaign with Warren Moon at the University of Washington. They won the Rose Bowl, they beat Michigan. He was the player of the game. And guess what? goes undrafted by the National Football League. You can imagine why. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Uh, it was a special one for me to conduct. So here we go. Let's welcome our guest, Hall of Fame quarterback, Warren Moon. Well, I am so fired up to welcome our next guest, Hall of Fame quarterback, Warren Moon. And we'll get into his great playing days and his story, but I'm especially fired up because how Warren treated me as a young player. I think I'll always remember Warren Moon because as a young player and you're intimidated and you're scared, uh, Warren was always a guy that showed me a lot of grace, was a guy who was always very kind to me and was always there to offer some sage advice as I was growing up at the quarterback position. So Warren, thank you so much. That's my thank you for all the years you were kind to me. <laughs> and I thank you for doing this today. Well, you're an easy guy to be kind to, Trent. You're uh, you're one of the best in the business. Um, 
every time I see a young quarterback coming into this league, I know exactly how they feel because I was one of those guys at one time and, and I would have loved somebody come up to me and, and do the same thing. So uh, I just wanted to make guys feel, um, feel comfortable because you know, this is a, a position where uh, there's a lot put on your shoulders and you have a lot to, to have to live up to, especially being, you know, a first round draft pick or whatever it might be. Um, as a quarterback, we have this fraternity of guys and we want to make sure we look after each other. And that, that's kind of what I was trying to do with all the guys that came into the league around me was try and make those guys feel as comfortable as possible and let them know that they're welcome. Let them know that at some point they're going to have success in this league. It's just a matter of time. Uh, and just try and calm their nerves a little bit, because like I said, there's a lot on their shoulders coming into this league, a lot of expectations on the field. There's expectations off the field. There's time constraints. There's all types of things that people don't understand what quarterbacks deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's kind of the, the reasoning why I tried to do what I did, even if even if it was just you know a couple of seconds of of words of encouragement. You know, hopefully those words meant something. Well, they did to me. I appreciate. It. I'm sure there's a ton of other quarterbacks out there that had the same experience as me, and that's really the point of the show. Beyond the X's and O's is to talk about the story behind the story of the quarterbacks and uh, your story started in LA. You grew up in Los Angeles, Alexander Hamilton high school. Am I correct there? Alexander Hamilton. Yep. And I know there's a story how you got there as well. So I've been starting all these with this question. Walk me through your first high school start at quarterback and your first high school touchdown pass, because I think there's a lot of kids out there. that are going to listen to this. People are going to listen to this and they forget that that's a, that's a monumental uh, experience for young quarterbacks and, and they may be going through that right now. Yeah. You're really testing my, uh, <laughs> this has been a challenge my, for some my, of you. My uh, memory. Yeah. This has been a challenge for some of you quote unquote older guys to remember your first yeah. high school start. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. It was a, uh, believe it or not, it was a jump pass. We had this pass where I would fake into the line of scrimmage to the running back and I would jump up and throw a slant over the over line of scrimmage. Uh, where the wide receiver comes down and runs a slant off of my play action fake. And that was my first uh, touchdown as a high school player. That's incredible. <laughs> we ran that a lot on, on either third downs, you know, a lot of teams just run the regular slant, but we ran a play action slant a lot off of ours, especially if it was like third and short third and two or something like that, where you might get a play action fake in there. Um, and that was my first touchdown pass as a, as a uh, varsity 11th grader. That's amazing. Cause I bet you most people think like urban Meyer and Tim Tebow made up that play. Cause that's kind of the, the signature moment, the jump pass that Tim Tebow makes. I can't yeah. remember against who, and you're sitting there in probably your chair watching it going, I did that 25 years ago. That was in, that was in 1972. That's incredible. What an <laughs> awesome story. So what was your high school experience like? So you, you went to Alexander Hamilton because you used, uh, used one of your mom's friends' addresses. Am I correct there? Yes, I, I lived in the uh, the Dorsey. I was right on the borderline of Dorsey High School and, and L.A. High School. And uh, at that time, Trent, uh, it was it was a gang-infested time as, as far as when I was coming up in high school. And there were rival gangs at both of those schools. I kind of lived in a neighborhood that was kind of surrounded by it all. Somehow I was able to stay away from it all because my mother just kind of kept me in, in things that kept me busy and uh, uh, really high character type stuff. Like I went to vacation Bible school in the summer. I was a, I was a Boy Scout. Uh, she kept me involved in all types of different sports. So she kept me involved in things that keep me away from all the, 
the drama that was out there in the streets. And uh, fortunately, I was able to stay away from all that. So when it was time for me to go to high school, I really wanted to go to Beverly Hills High School, believe it or not. I used to go up there and work out all the time. They had tremendous facilities. Uh, I got to know the coaches and that up there, but I couldn't get a permit to go there because I didn't have a, I, they just weren't giving out permits to go there. So my next choice was Hamilton High School and Hamilton was over in West LA, another good program. I knew some uh, some guys that went to school there already. Um, so that's where I decided to go and I, I couldn't get a permit there either, but I did have a family friend that lived in the neighborhood that we used her address as if I lived there. So it was kind of a little, illegal what I was doing, but uh, it worked, <laughs> you know, and nobody ever caught up to it. And then I was able to get a permit my next year, my, uh, my South, I mean, my junior year. And then I, I was all legal. But that first year was kind of, you were worried that somebody was going to come knocking on the door and see if you really live there or not. And, um, but I, I was so glad to go to Hamilton because it got me away from that whole gang environment. Um, they had a really good uh, high school program there as far as all the different sports. And it was a really good school. It was very multi multicultural. Uh, there was probably 55% Jewish kids there that went to school there. There was probably another 20% that were African-American, another 20% that were white. So I got a chance to really be involved with a lot of different type of ethnic groups. And that's where I ate my first bagel and <laughs> had my first cream cheese and first lox and all that type of thing uh, because I learned different culture being around, uh, you know, different culture of people. So uh, it really helped me that way too, as far as being able to uh, identify with what other people's lifestyles were and things like that, not just the football and, and, and school side of it. Now you said you, you played a lot of sports growing up. Did you play more than one sport in high school or were you only a football player? I was only a football player mainly because I had to have a part-time yeah. job in the off season. Um, you know, I didn't come from a family that had a whole lot. It was just my mom. I had six sisters and it was me. And uh, for me to be able to have the money that I needed, first of all, I had to take the city bus to school. There wasn't a, a school bus that took me from, from my neighborhood. So I had to drive where I had the bus every day and back home, uh, you know, just to have money in my pocket for lunch and different things like that. I needed to have a job. So I would work, uh, I worked for the Veterans Administration uh, after school um, in the off seasons uh, from football. And uh, that's where I made my extra money to help my mother out. So she didn't have to provide for me for all those things that I needed in high school. Well, I think that's a, it's a really important point. Everybody I've talked to on this, on this show has an experience like yours, whether it was either another sport where they learned how to be a great teammate by not being the star, or they had to get a job uh, to support their families and, and so that they could play football. But there's this, there's this thread of working super, super, super hard to chase a dream of playing quarterback uh, that ultimately pans out. And the reason I say that is because in today's generation, there's so many of these spoon fed quarterbacks, right? Their daddy's taken around to every camp in the country. All they do is practice quarterback. It's kind of like a prima donna position. And what I'm trying to point out through the show is that those of you that have gold jackets, those of you that make it to the biggest stage ever and accomplish the greatest things, there was always that extra thing you had to do to chase the dream. Do you think you lot, you learned a lot about being a better teammate, about being a better quarterback, uh, about overcoming huge adversity because you had those other responsibilities in your life? Yeah, I, th I think I just appreciated uh, football more because mm -hmm. it could have easily been taken away from me. And 
believe it or not, basketball was my favorite sport growing up. I was really good in it uh, coming up all the way to high school. We had a high school basketball coach that did not like football players because we came out late, right? <laughs> football season wasn't over till uh, late November or whatever, and he wanted you there in September when they started. So he wasn't a big fan of football players. There wasn't a lot of football players who played basketball anyway. Um, and then in the off seasons, I would, I would work out with the track team a little bit just to you know try and, and, and increase my speed and things like that, but not on a day-to-day -day basis like they did because, again, I had to go to work all the time. But I did really appreciate football much more only because it was the only sport I was able to play because of the circumstances, and I wanted to make the most of that situation because I knew I basically had to make it in football um, for me to get a, a college scholarship. I wasn't even thinking pro football at that time. I'm just thinking, how can I get my education in college? And because my mother wasn't going to be able to provide for me to go to college. And I wasn't a, um, a dumb student or anything like that, but I wasn't an academic scholar where I was going to get an academic scholarship. So my scholarship was going to come through athletics and that, that, um, that athletics was going to be football. So uh, I put all my eggs in one basket and, and I really bet on myself to, to make myself uh, successful. And what was your recruiting process like? I got recruited a lot, um, especially the teams, uh, the, the schools locally in California. Um, but a lot of them wanted to change my position. And uh, I, I wanted nothing to do with that. And I actually, <laughs> I, I committed to Arizona State because that that's, uh, they gave me a chance. They said they were going to let me play quarterback. Then all of a sudden they, they uh, signed a kid by the name of Bruce Hardy. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was a tight end. He ended up playing tight end in the National Football League. Uh, and then a guy by the name of Dennis Sproul. He was a quarterback uh, in California. Those were the two top high school quarterbacks in the country. And they signed both of those guys. They called me on the phone and said, we're going to switch you to defensive back, but we're going to honor our commitment. I said, thanks, but no thanks. And that's why I went to junior college for a year because um, I, had, I committed to them so late that, you know, signing day was already over and, and uh, there wasn't anything else good out there. So I decided to go to junior college for a year just to kind of see if I could increase my offers as far as being able to play quarterback. It was a great decision, correct? It was. You know, it wasn't something I wanted to do. Um, because I felt like what I had done in, in high school was, was good enough to get me a major college scholarship. But I also knew the climate that I was living in at that time when it came to African-American quarterbacks. I got a lot of offers from schools like Oklahoma and, and people that ran the wishbone. And, and I wasn't a runner. I, I, I was a good athlete for a quarterback, but I wasn't a great athlete. But I could throw the football. And uh, for some reason, those were the schools that were most interested in me, the ones that ran the football. UCLA actually recruited me, but they ran the veer. And I didn't want to run the veer. <laughs> you know, John Shara was there at that time and, and, and Mark Harmon. They were their two quarterbacks. But I didn't want to go there and run the veer. I, I, I wanted to throw the football. So uh, I didn't go to USC because Vince Evans was there and, and he still had two years left. I would have had to redshirt if I went there. So. I decided to go to junior college to see if I could better my offers um, coming out of there. But they want you to go to junior college usually for two years. And my problem at, at West LA, I went there, had a great year. I set all these state records, so state player of the year. And then next thing you know, schools want to recruit me, but my head coach doesn't want people to come on campus and recruit me. He wants me to stay for two years. He wants that two year commitment out of me. So, 
what I had to do is I had a job in the athletic department in the off season. And I had the keys to everything because that's what one of my jobs was to lock up the locker room, lock up the weight room, do those types of things. But I also had the keys to the film library. So I would go into our film cabinet, take the film of the, of the, the games I wanted people to see, and I sent it off to different universities that I was interested in going. And that's how I got recruited. I, ha I had to do it that way. And finally, I had to sit down, come to Jesus, talk with uh, my head coach about, please give these uh, these schools permission to come on campus and recruit me because he told them if they came on campus and recruited me, he wouldn't allow them to come on campus anymore to recruit any of his players. So we finally got that agreement worked out where he finally agreed that he would let me, um, you know, get recruited. And because I was being recruited by the University of Washington, they were also recruiting my receiver, Leon Garrett, who ended up signing there. They saw me on film all the time. So they, were, they already had their radar on me. And Jim Mora was the guy that actually was the one that saw me on tape. And he told uh, Chick Harris, who was, was uh, the defensive back coach, and that was his area, about me. And then they, they started recruiting me. So that's how that whole process started with the University of Washington. And I definitely want to get into your time at UW and Coach James and those great years there. But I just want to reset for, for the uh, audience, too, just so they hear what you just said. Okay, so not, you're, you're dominant in high school. But as a young African-American quarterback, you're only being recruited to play another position or go to an offense that is run quarterback run driven. Correct. Right. Or a smaller school, or a smaller like school, like even like though. Like you, yep. Type or like yep. So I think there's obviously uh, times of change, but at that moment in time, there's got to be some resentment. There. There's got to be some pain knowing you're good enough to go slinging around anywhere in the country and, and that's how you're being recruited. You end up going to, to JUCO, uh, even though you probably should have gone to a, well, not probably, you should have gone to a power five or off the get-go and played quarterback. But you have to go to JUCO a lot like an Aaron Rodgers or a Josh Allen, both who had to go through junior college systems first. Right. So that had to create a little chip on your shoulder, so to speak. Is that fair? I had big chips on my shoulder for a lot of different reasons. Cause I can even go back into high school. My, uh, my 10th grade year when I came to Hamilton, I was a third string quarterback on our, on our, um, on our sophomore team. Uh, my coach wanted no parts of me as a quarterback, um, but that's the position I played. And he had this special formation called the something spread. I forgot he had a special name for it. I would come in the game at the end of a game when we're losing and try and get us back into it by just throwing the ball all over the yard. But you know, it was just one of those situations. That was the only time I ever played in, in my uh, first year in high school. But the varsity coach, he came over to me during the uh, off season as I was working out on the track and he and put his arm around me and said, you're going to be my starting quarterback next year on the varsity team. And right there, my confidence level just, just took off. My work ethic, everything just improved to another level because somebody had confidence in me. I love that. And not to mention, you had a job. I mean, that's the part, other part I was going to mention. Not only were these chips developing on your shoulder because how you're being under-recruited or had to be the third team on the soft, the third quarterback on the sophomore team, had to go to JUCO, but you're working in the midst of all this. And I just want these young quarterbacks, young coaches out there to understand that every Hall of Fame quarterback we've talked to, and you are no different, had tremendous fights in them and had to overcome great adversity and great setbacks in order to reach their dreams. So we're going to go to our first break. When we get back, we'll talk to Warren Moon about his incredible career at the University of Washington and obviously his illustrious NFL career. We'll be right back. 
Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh, yeah. And stream an insane amount of football. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. To see if you are eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv slash SundayReady and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know life gets heavy. We talk to quarterbacks all the time about the pressure of NFL and college football. And it's okay not to be okay. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating under 48 hours. Now keep in mind, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And this service is available for clients worldwide. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So take advantage of the special offer for Beyond the X's and O's listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Dilfer. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Dilfer to join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. My life is nuts. Whether I'm coaching high school football on Friday nights, watching college quarterbacks on Saturday, or watching NFL guys rip dimes on Sunday, I am always needing that extra shot of energy, and I live on this triple shot. Starbucks triple shot energy, extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and now available in two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. So what gives you energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. Well, Warren, we talked about the high school career. We talked about a lot of the experiences in high school that helped shape you. Well, now you get this opportunity to go to the University of Washington after spending a year in junior college and convincing your junior college coach to let them come on campus and recruit you. Uh, go anywhere you want with this, but talk to me about your experience at the University of Washington. You know, it was it was an opportunity for me to play big-time college football, uh, to play in the Pac-8, which it was at that time, uh, play on the West Coast where I could still be relatively close to my family and they could come see me play from time to time or either when we went down to, to L.A. to play either UCLA or USC. 
Uh, so all those were reasons that, that went into my decision to go there. And, and the big decision was because Don James, who was my college coach, I was his first recruiting class. And he believed in me as a quarterback where a lot of other big time schools didn't. And he was going to give me a chance to compete my first year up there against a fifth year senior who was their incumbent starter, a guy by the name of Chris Rowland. I ended up beating him out during two a days. Um, I was the first African-American quarterback to start up there. And uh, we weren't very good. <laughs> he, that's why Don James was coming in. They were a two and nine team the year before. Um, we needed to start recruiting, you know, some athletes to to really change the uh, the culture of what was going on at the University of Washington at that time. They had had a lot of racial problems within the the athletic department at that time as well. When Jim Owens was leaving there, the the previous coach, so there was a lot going on, and we had a we had a very very tough schedule. We played Alabama in, at Alabama. We played University of Texas when they had Earl Campbell as, as a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, we we played Arizona State, who finished twelve and zero that year. Uh, they were in the they were in the Big Twelve. I mean the the Big eight, I think it was at that time, but they finished undefeated that season. So we had a very, very tough schedule and got off to a very slow start. And of course, uh, with me being the new guy in town and uh, me being the, uh, and then Don James being the new coach, we took a lot of heat uh, those first four or five weeks of the season. And then with me, I understood the quarterbacks are going to get booed when things aren't going well or whatever. But with, with me, it became more personal. And the, the stuff that was coming out of the stands, the stuff that, you know, friends of mine that were in the stands watching or, or my, my girlfriend at the time who became my wife uh, would have to hear and, and uh, get into arguments with people in the stands, you know, about the stuff that they were saying. It, it, it just became a little bit more personal with me because of, uh, because of my skin color. So that's just something I had to deal with. And, and I think you know <clears throat> better than anybody, um, Trent, when you, when you come into that huddle, like you come from the sideline to get the play, you might be the last guy into the huddle, and, and, and you got 65,000 people just booing you like crazy uh, as you run onto the field. And then you run into that huddle, and you have to look at those 10 guys in that huddle and they're, they're going to look in your eyes to see how this is affecting you because you've got to be the guy that gives them the confidence that I'm going to be able to take you down the field and score regardless of what's going on in this stadium right now. So I had to be the best actor in the world at that time because inside of me it was tearing me apart, but I still knew I had a job to do. And, and uh, <clears throat> it really, it really, it really showed, um, showed me a lot about myself being able to, to to go through that situation at, at 18, 19 years old and, and deal with it and, and still be able to play the game. So I want to lean into that a little bit more because I don't think there's going to be a single person that watches this that can say they can actually begin to understand what you went through. You're 18, 19 years old. You're going into a place that already had, as you, in your words, some racial issues inside the athletic department. You're the first black starting quarterback at the University of Washington, Don James, and you are pioneers right now. And you're hearing these just horrific things being said about you. Your loved ones are hearing these things being said about you in the stands. I don't want you to have to recap any of that, but how did you deal with this um, outside of football? Obviously you said you're a great actor in front of your teammates, but did you have a great support system uh, how brutal was this for you to have to hear these things said about you, have, them, have your loved ones tell you what's being said, knowing that you are the starting quarterback here and, and you got to find a way to get up the next day and walk on campus and 
be in your be in your football environment and and have a, a certain level of poise and and confidence to you yeah that that was probably one of the toughest stages of my uh, of my life as i look back at it that uh being able to navigate through that and uh, my roommate uh, ended up being Leon Garrett, my receiver from from West LA. He had a uh, his dad had a family friend that lived in Seattle, uh, a family by the name of Willie and Thelma Payne, and they would invite us over for dinner uh, after uh, games on Sunday just to get away from the campus, have a family have a, a cook a home cooked meal, and be in a family environment because they had two sons and a daughter, and that's where my refuge became. You know, she was in social work. Uh, she would have me come over there. Sometimes I would just lay on the couch and lay my head in her lap and she would just rub my head and, and we would just talk. And uh, she would talk me through a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with because I was a very introverted person. I didn't, I didn't let a lot of my feelings out. And, and that's kind of the way I was kind of born from the time my dad passed away when I was seven. I, I held a lot of my feelings inside of me and, and, um, she, she, in a way, was able to get some of those things out of me and me be able to talk about it and make me feel a little bit better about everything that was going on. At least, at least she kind of knew what I was dealing with because I would tell her some of the things that, that I wouldn't ever tell anybody else. So uh, that was kind of my support system, um, so to speak. I'd go over there on Sundays, have dinner, and then start the rest of the week out. And depending on how well things went on Saturday, that <laughs> that's how well our session went or how bad our session was on Sunday. So um, it was, uh, like I said, it was a very tough time in my life. Um, and I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my, my internal toughness and, and what I could deal with. Uh, and then how to handle it. You know, handle it in a professional way where I wasn't trying to snap back at people or trying to, uh, you know, make the situa situation any worse than what it already was. I, I let, I made people think that it didn't really bother me, which inside of me, like I said, it was tearing me to pieces, but um, it was like that old Dow commercial, never let them see you sweat, you know? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the way I tried to handle it. And as a quarterback, I think it really helped me down the road as a quarterback because you know, we play this game where all this this turmoil is going on around us and there's all this physicalness by guys, you know, trying to tear each other's head off and, and guys get emotional and guys, uh, they get out of character sometimes. But if your quarterback is a guy that they can always look to for that, that calming influence, uh, that's something I think that's important for a football team. And, and I wanted to be that type of guy at the quarterback spot that no matter what turmoil was going on, no matter what type of adversity we're dealing with, you look at Warren and see that everything's going to be okay. Juan, thanks for sharing that because I think there's so many lessons in that, right? All young quarterbacks need that support system. Now yours just came in a, I love the words you're using turmoil. You had more turmoil than most will ever face. Um, but you had that support system from that family that cared for you and a lot filled up your love tank for lack of a better term. So you can go fight the good fight during the week. Um, to this, to this day, Trent, uh, we are still the closest of close as far as, uh, our friendship. They moved, she moved away to Memphis, Tennessee, where her, for her, um, where she was born. A lot of her family is because she's kind of retired now. But, you know, I've been down there to visit her already, and uh, she can't wait for me to come back. She, she's as close to me as a mom than my mom, than my real mom. She, I call her my god mom, and she's just as close as my real mom, who, who's still alive, and just saw her at the 
family reunion, 94 years old. So I have two really strong women in my life. Oh, that's so awesome. Thanks for sharing that. When we get back from our break, we're going to talk to Warren about his his draft experience, his days at the CFL, and obviously his Hall of Fame career in the NFL. We'll be right back. Football's right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Nothing adds the excitement of watching a game quite like having a free shot at a million dollar top prize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DILFER to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code DILFER for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back with Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, and we've talked about the career at Washington, obviously incredibly successful, uh, and then draft day comes, and you got to be gearing up for the draft, go chase your dreams of playing professional football, you take from here. What was your draft experience like? I know what happened, but I want to hear it from your words. <laughs> well, first, let's go back to when I first got there to the point where uh, now I'm a senior. You know, we, we win the Pac-8 yep. championship. I'm the Pac-8 player of the year. I go to the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl MVP. We win big game over over uh, Michigan. Kind of puts our program and puts me on the map as far as you know who I am. So I feel like after everything I've gone through, I've put myself in a position to at least be considered to play quarterback in the National Football League. You would think, uh, right? If you use logic and reason to make these decisions, it would make right. sense you're going to play quarterback in the NFL. You would think uh, I had nobody come out and give me an individual workout. Um, I, I did the the scouting day that we had with all of our seniors where you go out and run forties and get measured and all that, but nobody came out to watch me throw the football. Um, and then my attorney, I had hired Lee Steinberg at that time and he was starting to, to do his due diligence on me around the league and what people thought about me for the draft and all that was coming back that, Again, they wanted to change my position. They wanted to move me to defensive back or wide receiver, position I never played before. Um, and uh, if I did get drafted as a quarterback, it was going to be way down the, down the line uh, in the draft. And at that time, it was 12 rounds in the draft. It wasn't just seven. So I had to kind of weigh the CFL had come and told me that they wanted me to come up there and play quarterback. And they had given me a very good uh, – 
financial offer. Uh, it's kind of equivalent to what a second round draft pick in the NFL would have been. And then I could play quarterback. So I had to weigh whether I was going to give up my dream of playing in the NFL or go play in another country and that I knew nothing about. I, I knew nothing about the game up there as far as the rules. And I knew different players who had gone up there and, and um, played their career like Condridge Holloway and Jimmy Jones and, and guys like that, but didn't know a whole lot about it. And especially didn't know a lot about Edmonton, Alberta. I didn't even know there was a province called Alberta. <laughs> but, you know, Hugh Campbell, who was the head coach at that time, came down. We had a film session and we talked and he told me he not only thought I could be great in Canada, he thought I could be great in the National Football League. That's, that's what he, he thought about me at that time. And um, so I went through the pros and cons with Lee as we sat down and decided Canada was the place for me to go if I wanted to continue to play quarterback because that's the position I loved. I had been successful at every, every level of, of football that I had played uh, as a quarterback, whether it was Pop Warner, high school, junior college, major college, and I felt like I could play pro football. It was just a matter of being given the opportunity. So they were giving me the opportunity and I was going to take that. So that's what I did. I went to Canada. I had to give them an answer early because the NFL draft was six weeks prior or six weeks after uh, what the, the Canadian commitment day was. So I, I committed to them. And instead of wanting to be drafted on NFL draft day, now all of a sudden I don't want to be drafted because I want to be a free agent if I ever decide to come back. I don't want some team to be holding my rights for the amount of time that I might be in Canada. So I was praying and had my fingers crossed and everything that I wouldn't get drafted on draft day, and I wasn't. And uh, that, that just showed me right there. Nobody really, really uh, cared about me as a quarterback, even though he didn't even have my rights somewhere down the road if I was to, you know, improve or do whatever while I was in Canada. And I went up there and I loved it. Uh, you know, I, I went to a really good team, a lot of leadership. Uh, we had a veteran quarterback. I was able to learn from him. We had a two quarterback system, uh, completely different styles. And, uh, you know, we won five championships in the first five years. And um, it was a situation where I thought I loved it up there so much that I might play the rest of my career there because I didn't have to deal with any of the crap that I, I dealt with, uh, you know, on the field and off the field um, when I was in college. But because I had, I had accomplished so much so quickly up there, in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, how good, how, how good am I really? Um, and the only way to find that out is to play against the best players and the best players, obviously, in the National Football League. So that's what kind of lured me back to the National Football League, the fact that I wanted to see where I really stood with the top players to ever play this game. And um, that and the fact that I was being offered a tremendous amount of money to come back, um, even though the Canadian League was offering me a, a huge package to stay there as well. I decided to come back to the NFL because, again, that was my dream as a kid to play in the National Football League. Um, and I felt like I could do it, but until you actually do it, you just don't know. So I, I want to, what about the five years you're having all the success in the CFL? W was there an outreach by the NFL, like after year one, after year two, after year three, or was it really after the five championships that the big package was offered? You know, the part of my problem was I'd signed a three-year deal, so I was under contract, Got so it. I couldn't do anything. Um, there was scouts up there all the okay. time. We always heard about the different teams that were in our press box during games because they're looking at guys all the time in Canada to try and bring them back down to the NFL if they, if they think they're good enough. And I was no exception. And then when they had the strike in, in the NFL in 1983, 
uh, they put our games on television and that really exposed me a little bit more to to the uh, NFL crowd uh, because a lot of people didn't even realize I had gone up there you know there was a lot of days up there even though we were winning and winning championships that I was I was homesick uh, I was uh, bitter because I, I'm watching NFL games on television and I'm going, I can, I can do what this guy's doing. I can do what that guy's doing. Not to take anything away from them, but I just felt like I could play with these guys. And I wasn't getting the chance to do it. So it, there was a bitterness there along with, it was like a bittersweet um, experience while I was up there winning all these games, winning all these championships, getting all these accolades, but not really being satisfied what you wanted to do as a quarterback, which was play against the best and compete against the best. I wasn't getting a chance to do that. So that's, that was the bitterness that I felt when I was up there and, and more bitterness that here's a country in Canada that accepts me with open arms. And here's my country uh, telling me, no, you're not good enough. You need to go somewhere else and play. So it, it was all those things working within my mind. Mm. Now, when I sat down and talked to Kurt Warner, he talked about how much he learned in the arena league. Uh, it really enhanced his game, getting the ball out quicker, making quicker decisions with a condensed field, yada, yada, yada. You were the opposite. You played on a bigger field with more more space. Did the CFL grow any part of your game that really translated when you go down and play in the in the National Football League? You know, it made me more versatile. Mm -hmm. um, I had to become a better thrower on the run. I also had to be a much better passer. Uh, strong, My strong arm really helped me when I threw from the pocket, because when you're up in Canada, there's a lot of planes and on those planes, there's a lot of wind. So you play in a lot of games where you're throwing either into the wind or, or with the wind. And I learned how to navigate because sometimes it's even harder to throw when you have the wind. Amen. I've been saying that forever and nobody believes me. I'm glad to hear you say it. So you have to be able to control yes. those things. So I learned to do that with weather and weather never bothered me when I came to the national football league because of what I dealt with. Uh, in Canada, I played in minus 42 Celsius in playoff games. <laughs> I played uh, with, with extreme uh, with extreme um, wind and rain, and so all those things made me a better player. But I think I was just more versatile. So I felt like whatever offense you put me in, I was going to be productive in it, and that's kind of how it happened in the NFL. No matter what team or what yeah you know, what team I played with or what uh, offense I was in. I adapted to it because I had a lot of versatility in my game. Love that. All right, so walk us through the transition from the CFL to the NFL. And again, take us wherever you think is most important with that transition. Everybody knows about the nine Pro Bowls. Everybody knows about the Hall of Fame. We'll touch that, touch on that at the end. Um, but just that journey from going from the CFL down the NFL. Yeah, um, it was interesting because, like I said, once I decided to come back, now all of a sudden um, – you know, teams could start making making bids for me, and and Lee did a great job of orchestrating all these different visits for me for the teams that were most interested. So it came down to about seven different teams that that really wanted my services that were willing to pay you know, the type of money that we were looking for. And um, I took I took a visit to the Giants. I took a visit to to Tampa Bay. I took a visit to uh, New Orleans. Uh, visited the Raiders, I visited Seattle, I visited Houston, of course. And um, it came down to Seattle and Houston because I was living in Seattle at that time. I went to school here. I was kind of a hero now after the Super I mean, after the Rose Bowl and all of that. Uh, my wife loved it here. And then Chuck Knox was the coach at that time. And, and I, I had a great respect for him because he coached the Rams when I was a young kid. 
so I kind of wanted to play for them. But then Houston had hired my Canadian football league coach, Hugh Campbell, as the head coach, and they were making me a, a really, uh, you know, great financial offer. And so I, I kind of made it between the two. And because of the financial offer being better with with Houston and me having a coach there that I was familiar with. And you got to remember, I had played six years at this time now, so I don't know how long I'm going to play. So I got to try and get the most I can because if, say, if I'm able to play this five-year deal, that's 11 years. That's a long time back in those days that you you play a career. Nowadays, guys are playing much longer, but I never thought in a million years I'd play as long as I did. So I had to take whatever I thought was best for me at that time. And and uh, so I went to Houston for the financial package and, and the coaching uh, relationship and I knew it was going to be a tough sled there because, you know, they were three and 13 the year before or two and 14 the year before. And it kind of reminded me a lot of my college situation that it was going to be a rebuilding thing. I was going to have to be patient and we'd eventually get the players in there. And then we turn the thing around and that's kind of what happened. But there was some, again, some more of those ugly, ugly days uh, early in my tenure there because you know, you're in the South and uh, you're being paid all this money and, and they're expecting a lot out of you. And when it doesn't come out um, that way, uh, a lot of ugliness came out. And again, it became more personal than just booing the quarterback because the team's not playing good or he's not playing good. It, it became really personal. And now at this time, I've got three kids and they're having to listen to all this stuff in the stands. And, and uh, that's what made it extremely tough for me not so much that I had dealt with it already so I, I, I had tough skin for all that but now you've got a you know a four-year-old a five-year-old six-year-old and, and they're having to deal with this and you know my son's coming up to me in my locker after the game crying wanting to know why people are calling you all these names and and so you have to switch from being a football player who might have just lost a football game to being a dad and try and explain you know where all this anger and, and uh, ignorance is coming from so Again, another learning experience for me. Yeah, but Warren, you're you're <laughs> you're handling it even this interview with so much poise and grace. I, I gotta imagine, because again, none of us can appreciate the amount of pain that must have been. I just think as a father, when my kids are in pain or they're threatened, how angry I get and how protective I get of them. You're going through this playing on Sundays and having to deal with this crap Monday through Saturday. Um, did it make it hard to become active in the community in Houston? Did it make it hard to love your franchise? Did it make it hard to for you and your family to really feel like you're setting roots uh, in Houston as you're experiencing this, this ignorance and this ugliness um, just because things aren't going great on the football field early in your time there? You know, I, I rationalize it, Trent, that um, there's only a, there's a certain amount of society in general that they just have this kind of hatred for certain races. And I don't think everybody was bad because I did get cheered a lot too. Um, and that's kind of how I kind of rationalize it in my mind that I have to try and block those people out, the people that, that are ignorant. Basically, I just, I just summed it up that they're just ignorant people that are bigoted and you're not gonna be able to do anything with those type of people. You're not gonna be able to change their mind. But I had set up my foundation there and my foundation was doing great and it was flourishing and people were supporting it. So I know there was a good there, a lot of good there too, but there was some bad and that bad I had to deal with. And um, I also have a, and, I'm, and most men have this as well. They have this ability to compartmentalize yep. different things in their mind, to be able to 
put it over here in that section of your brain and not have to deal with it. And, and you deal with it when you, when you're ready to deal with it, but when you don't need to deal with it and you have to focus on football or focus on your family or whatever it might be, you can do that. Now, in some ways that's not good because, um, I kept so much inside of me that I eventually had to get, get uh, therapy in, in order to start dealing with some of the crap that I had, had built up inside of me because of it. So um, when I went to Minnesota, I started, I started therapy um, and uh, it was the best thing I ever did in my life because I would see a therapist on Tuesdays on my off day and then I'd see him again on Friday right before I went into a game. Um, just to kind of release everything that I was dealing with <clears throat> throughout the week. And um, man, it, it did wonders for my career. It did wonders for me as a person because all that crap that I dealt, dealt with all those years leading up to, to my time in Houston um, was buried inside of me. And I never really shared it very much with anybody except for you know, my godmom from time to time in Seattle. That's amazing. Well, thanks for sharing that too, because forever there's this, again, an ignorant stigma around, you know, getting therapy and taking care of our mental health. And I'm with you. We lost our son, as I've shared openly for years. Right. Uh, I've been active in, in therapy as well. And it's been, it's been one of the great things I've done. So thank you for sharing with everybody that that's been a key part of your mental health and dealing with this junk. And, and I do want to kind of fast forward through the rest of the NFL career, because here's my philosophy on that. You can go watch NFL films. You can go search Warren Mooney, SPN. You can go do anything you want and find out about this incredible career. I was lucky enough to play against him, learn from him as a young player, watching his career. I, I want to get to the Hall of Fame because I think it's the perfect opportunity right now to appreciate with all that you've been through. And let's go back again. I just a summary for the audience. Uh, third string quarterback on a sophomore team because of his skin color, a special package for him. Uh, you know, uh, not being recruited because of his skin color. Um, the, the ugliness that Warren had to experience in university of Washington in his time in the NFL to be the only black quarterback in the hall of fame, Warren, it's gotta mean more to you than any other quarterback in the hall of fame. I gotta believe just talk us through what that moment felt like. And just the pride uh, that you have. And I, I told you before we came on the show, nobody's had a better backdrop to their, to their uh, podcast than you just just talk us through why it's so important and, and what that moment felt like I followed the history of the game uh, as a young kid whether it was you know the white history or the black history of the quarterback position I knew them all you know Roger Staubach was one of my idols uh, I loved Daryl LaMonica because he was the mad bomber with the with the Oakland Raiders um, but I also knew who Joe Gilliam was I also knew who Marlon Briscoe was. I also knew who James Harris was. And these were African-American quarterbacks that were kind of given a raw deal in a lot of diff different circumstances. And I got to know these guys very well over the years. And they told me a lot of the stories, you know, about when they played and how they sometimes couldn't stay in the same hotel with their team. And they couldn't go to dinner and, and eat dinner in the same restaurants with their teammates on the road and all these different stories. So Doug Williams and I came out the same time in, in, the, in the draft. And uh, we became friends you know, throughout our years uh, in the league. Um, and he became the first African-American to win a Super Bowl. And that was something I was envious of because I wanted to be that, but I was also ecstatic that he did it or, or one of us did it just to show that we could win the games at the biggest level because that was always the criticism of us. So when I got the call that uh, I was selected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, 
I was driving my car, matter of fact, in Detroit because I was preparing for the Super Bowl with the, with the Seahawks and, uh, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm driving with my wife in the car and we're driving down the freeway and it's kind of sleeting and snowing there. And I get this call that, that I've been selected. That's how I got, that's how you got the call. You didn't get a knock on the door like they do today. And uh, man, the tears and the emotion that came over my body was unbelievable. And, and that's what I thought of immediately was those guys, everything they had gone through, everything that I had gone through from the time I started playing the position, it just all came pouring out of me. My wife had to take the wheel of the car and get us over to the side of the road or, or we, would have, we would have had an accident. Um, but it was the most emotional moment that I've had as, a, as an adult uh, when I got that phone call that day. So yeah, what a tremendous honor and something that you don't even think about when you're playing the game ever. Uh, people start talking about it when your career is winding up and, and, you know, years after you're done, they start saying you have a chance and, and you just never know because it's not, it's out of your hands at this point. It's, it's out of your control. You've done what you, what you had to do on the field on Sunday. And now you leave it to, you know, 49 other people to make that decision. So um, again, it was the most emotional time, but uh, one of the most joyous times for me that, that uh, I could finally say I'm one of the top football players to ever play that position uh, and because that's what I was trying to accomplish when I came back from Canada, just to see where I stood in the echelons of professional football. Incredible. Well, Warren, thank you so much for your story. Most importantly, thank you for your vulnerability. I, to me, that's why I'm doing this, is to get the story behind the story. And there's so many people yeah. that will watch this and learn from it. Um, so you don't go you don't get to this stage on with anybody unless they they go through a tremendous amount of adversity everybody has their own different adversity and i like to think that life basically is about 80 percent adversity it's how you deal with it every day whether it's i have a headache how do i deal with that headache i have a i have a flat tire how do i deal with that flat tire i'm late for work how do i deal with when i get there all the different things that you have to deal with adverse wise how do you deal with that stuff and um uh, fortunately, I was able to deal with it enough to get myself a picture like that behind me. Amen, brother. Well, that's the perfect way to end the show. Thank you for your time, Warren. Appreciate you more than you know. All right, Trent. Thank you, brother. Talk to you down the road. All right. See you, brother. Well, thanks again to Warren Moon. What an incredible conversation. It, it, it does not shock me that yet another Hall of Fame quarterback wanted to talk about the adversity that he faced on his journey as much as anything else. All you young quarterbacks, it's not an easy path. Uh, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. And to get it, you're going to have to face a lot of adversity as you've learned by all these Hall of Fame quarterbacks that spent time with us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Football's right around the corner. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. 
If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching a game quite like having a free shot at a million dollar top prize. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DILFER to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code DILFER for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT.